Before we get to this week's episode, a quick note. We heard from several listeners about last week's episode about how to make free online courses more open. If you missed it, you should check it out. We talked to two academics who created the very first massive open online course, or MOOC, back in the day. If you had a strong opinion about that episode, we'd love to hear from you. And we set up a new hotline where you can call in with your response. The phone number is 202-990-8525. Number again, 202-990-8525. And if you call, we might use some of your response in a future episode. Or just give us some story ideas. Okay, I'm handing things off to my colleague Stephen Nunu for this week's episode. It's a great one. Check it out. Here we go. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast, a weekly look at the future of learning. I'm Stephen Nunu, the K-12 editor for EdSurge. What do you remember learning about climate change when you were in school? For most of us, the answer is probably not much. Decades ago, we just didn't have the same level of climate awareness that we do today. With all the attention on the climate these days, including the barrage of news stories around the UN's COP26 conference earlier this month, has this awareness filtered into classrooms? Not really, says journalist Katie Worth, and certainly not everywhere. Worth is a former reporter for the PBS show Frontline, and she just completed a years-long study of what American schools are teaching about climate change, both in and out of science class. So what did she find? Well, maybe it's enough to know that she titled her new book, Miseducation. In it, she documents the watered-down standards and outright climate change denialism adopted by some states, as well as a well-funded campaign of misinformation spearheaded by fossil fuel companies. The result is a generation of American adolescents who are more climate-minded than ever, but perhaps less knowledgeable about climate change than their peers in other countries. Worth is our guest this week, and she discusses the peaks and valleys she discovered during her research and what constitutes a really great climate education. It's an eye-opening look at what's going on in today's classrooms and why. I started by asking what inspired her to dive down the climate change rabbit hole in the first place. A few years ago, a colleague of mine at Frontline and I uh, went to the Marshall Islands to do a, uh, a project about climate change and kids, and we wound up um, talking to quite a few kids there. Um, if you, if for people who don't know it, it, the Marshall Islands is this island nation. It's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, its average uh, elevation is only about ten feet above sea level, and its highest point is something like twenty or thirty feet above sea level. So um, there, uh, there's not a lot of room there um, for sea level rise. Um, and storm surges before things get pretty dicey. And so um, it's possible that within these kids' lifetime that their whole homeland could become uninhabitable. So we were there uh, talking to these kids, and they were just so fluent in in climate change uh, and could speak much more authoritatively than most adults that I knew. Uh, There was one kid in particular who could talk about, he was really into animals, he was nine years old, and he could talk about all of the impacts that climate change would have, not only on his island and the reef around it, but like in the Arctic and 
um, in the jungles and so on. And his family was thinking about moving to uh, the U.S. because they hoped, um, in part because they wanted him to get a good education, him and his siblings. And so, of course, I wondered if they moved here, what would he learn about climate change? They were specifically thinking of moving to Oklahoma where they had some extended family And so, you know, that kind of became the animating question of this, um, of this book was, you know, what are kids learning in American schools about climate change, which will define the century that they live in. So the book is called Miseducation. So I think it's safe to assume maybe you didn't find the most promising results about what kids are learning about climate change. Yeah, um, that's a good assumption. So what I found were there was there was just a lot of um, there's just a, a lot of kids who are learning uh, climate denial in the classroom. So I think it's a third of teachers self-report of science teachers self-report that they tell students that many scientists believe that climate change is natural. And that is a patently false statement. At this point, we are quite close to 100% consensus about the fact that climate change is happening and why it's happening. So to tell students otherwise is to miseducate them. And it's pretty common that kids either get miseducated or they just learn nothing at all about the phenomenon in classrooms. As you know, education is so local in this country. What did you find out about those state-to-state, district-to-district differences? Yeah, well, what I found is that there's quite a diversity of how it's handled in classrooms. Um, that it is not an ideological, like the classroom is not an ideologically neutral place when it comes to climate change and climate science. And um, that there is this sort of red-blue divide. So blue states are doing, um, you know, considerably better at teaching their students on average than red states. There's some red states actually that are doing great, but um, the majority are uh, doing worse than average. What would you say characterizes a good state? Well, I mean, climate change uh, comes up in science in, you know, it, it touches on all sciences, you know, you can learn about it in chemistry and biology and earth science and environmental science. Um, kids often start learning about it in middle school science. And in some states, they they don't or that's all they hear about it. And then it never comes up in, in class again. It's not part of their biology curriculum or any curriculum in high school. But in other states, like New Jersey recently adopted academic standards that intentionally place climate science in, in all the different sciences, and also in a bunch of civics classes, because of course, in addition to being like a science issue, it's a, more importantly, a, a question of what do we do, what are we going to do about it? And um, kids should very much be, if anything, you know, and kids should be welcomed into that conversation and start thinking about that because they're going to obviously be decision makers in the very near future. So you also saw some teachers teach lessons about this. I mean, like, what was a really, you know, engaging or interesting lesson that, you know, you kind of saw from the classroom that had to do with climate science? 
the best teachers seem not to teach it, you know, like these are the facts, but kind of help the students discover it themselves. Um, and, you know, in one and kind of make the connections, like it's actually a really beautiful place to kind of show cause and effect, right? And, you know, they, so they show the data, the raw data showing, you know, the CO2 uh, increasing, levels increasing. And then one teacher um, had uh, students go online and look at uh, historic temperatures and how they've changed in any five cities in in the world, you know, and they put up um, and then started writing down how many were trending upwards, how many were trending downwards, how many had stayed the same over the last hundred years. And, you know, these were randomly selected places, you know, a lot of them were like where their grandmother lives, you know, and like kids, places that kids had a personal connection to or were curious about. And then the result, of course, was was that the majority of uh, the the um, cities had trended upwards, you know, so you kind of start like gathering evidence and the kids can put it together. I'm not an educational expert, but I certainly witnessed a lot of teachers doing a really good job of helping the kids discover it themselves and figure out what was happening. And, you know, then leading them into this other part of it, which is solutions. Like what is there, what is being done to solve it? Um, So it's not only like, you know, all problem and no, no solution or no hope, you know, uh, some problem and some solution. Obviously, there are there are coastal cities and communities and then cities that are more affected by climate change currently than others. Did you notice anything about students that lived in areas where, you know, climate change, they could see it with their own eyes and how seriously they, they took the topic or, or, or teachers, how seriously they took the topic, depending on, you know, if they were witnessing flooding or fires or anything like that? So you would think that that was the case, but actually, while I was doing this reporting, my hometown caught fire. I'm from a town called Chico, California, and it's just a few miles away from Paradise, California, which burned to the ground in 2018 due to a fire that was caught by or started by a utility pole, but you know, scientists say would was fueled by by climate change because you know there had been no climate change has completely affected the rainy seasons it's the five hottest summers in paradise had all been in the previous five years so you know there was there was a, there's a lot of um, connections there's a lot of finger fingerprints of climate change on that fire and so then I went into a classroom of a middle school classroom of kids whose homes had burned down. A hundred percent of them had been burnt out of paradise. And, you know, the teacher was giving a lesson on climate change to them. And, you know, a lot of them got it and a lot of them started to make that connection. But then those, you know, I also witnessed, you know, a kid raise his hand and say, you know, my parents say this climate change thing, it's not real. And I don't, you know, I don't know who to believe. And he, you know, he was very conflicted because he was getting multiple messages from different, different adults in his life about it. 
And um, at the end of that unit, the teacher gave them a writing prompt, which was, how do you think climate change has affected your life so far? And how would it affect, how will it affect your life within the next 50 years? Again, a classroom full of climate refugees. And many of them said, oh, it hasn't affected my life yet. And, and I don't know if it will or not. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing the experts that you talked to found things like that deeply concerning? Yeah, I mean, climate change is not like some futuristic, hypothetical phenomenon. It's happening already. And many kids in this country, their lives are already touched by it. And that will only become more and more and more common. Um, but there is a disconnect between what is happening and the cause. And, and um, while that exists, you know, it's going to be really hard to motivate the actions that scientists say we need to take if we're going to forestall the worst outcomes of climate change. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the causes of this miseducation. There, there seems to be some, some lobbying, you know, the textbook industry, you know, kind of tries to back off because they don't want to deal with school boards and they're trying to boost adoption rates. Can, can you say a little bit about, you know, what is fueling the, this ultimate miseducation? One of the threads is that kids are learning about it sort of from the adults in their lives, sort of passively. And teachers, of course, reflect, you know, they're just people and they reflect the political spectrum of this country. And right now, you know, one of the two major parties in this country is very ideologically grounded in climate denialism. It's very attached to climate denialism. And so people who have that viewpoint, which is, you know, close to half the people in this country, just don't, they, they don't trust the science, right? And so if your teacher doesn't trust the science, then you're not going to learn about it in school, or you're going to learn that it's not happening in school, right? So there's sort of like this passive, you know, like, it's an adult problem, and the kids are living in an adult world. And so they're absorbing the adult politics, right? Um, but then there's another thread that there was actually like an intentional it was an intentional campaign by fossil fuel companies and other moneyed interests to insert climate skepticism into classrooms, um, sort of to inoculate against future action. <laughs> because if you can get kids to disbelieve in the science, then once they, they become decision makers, they're not going to take action either, just like we aren't, right? And that buys more time for the fossil fuel industry to to extract fuel from the ground and make money off of that, right? So there was evidence, um, you know, that, that fossil fuel com companies have for a long time strategized about how to get their messages into, in front of kids. And they still do that in a variety of ways, uh, even though most of them have backed off the explicitly climate-denying messages. What was your takeaway about how to strengthen, you know, climate education in schools? You know, it's it's tricky. Um, I think it's a really good question. Um, I think that there has to be several tacks. I think that, you know, this this approach that New Jersey has taken and I think Hawaii has taken to insert 
climate change in lots of different classes and lots of different contexts, um, not just relegating it to middle school science. That is important, and that's you can do that legislatively. You know, standards, academic standards are approved by the legislature. Washington State is doing this really incredible program where they're providing professional development seminars for all for teachers, every science teacher in the state, about specifically about how to teach climate change. And now, you know, in the first two years, I think that they reached one in five teachers in the whole state, and now they're expanding beyond just science teachers. And, you know, like teachers, a lot of teachers didn't learn about it themselves in school, and they're not experts on this issue. And so, you know, they're kind of like having to pick it up themselves and so having like really strong professional development around that and kind of helping teachers think through how to educate kids about it is really um, powerful. There's also you know this this group called the Alliance for Climate Education does this uh, cool um, I think it's like an auditorium uh, an assembly uh, show where they they come and give a whole, you know, song and dance about climate change uh, to the whole school and get kids excited about it. And then it sort of works backwards because then the kids are excited about it. They go to their class, they tell their teachers like, oh, I want to learn more about this. Or like, I want tell me about this thing that we learned in the assembly. Um, and, um, and then it kind of goes from the ground up rather than having to be a, a top down kind of thing. Did you find school districts were, you know, uh, afraid of parents, afraid of, you know, school board meetings getting, you know, too bogged down in politics? Like, were were schools and teachers afraid of the political ramifications of introducing more climate science by their own initiative? I did find evidence. You know, I talked to a lot of teachers who said, um, well, I would teach it, but I know the teachers will get mad at me and my principal wouldn't really back me up. There's some cases. I wouldn't say it's very common, but I think just kind of that sense that it's going to be an explosive area and, you know, that people in their community have strong feelings about it, that is kind of silencing for some teachers, especially those who are not, like, fully on board. There's, of course, there's intrepid teachers in every single community in America, probably, who who teach this subject and who, and who do so no matter what the opposition may be. But there's uh, the ones who are kind of more, who are less motivated or knowledgeable, they, um, there is, studies have shown that there is some hesitancy to teach it in a robust way because they're worried about pushback from parents or administrators. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. So we did, we had done a story uh, a few weeks ago about students who didn't, you know, were learning um, critical race theory and race issues from social media, from their peers, from TikTok, uh, I wonder if the same thing is playing out if they if they're learning from their peers as well. Well, we know that um, Gen Z cares about this issue more than any of their elders, <laughs> and that in fact kids have taken the lead. Um, young people have led uh, climate strikes, climate protests. They're kind of like the moral and organizing force of action on climate change. So this is an issue that is important to a lot of uh, young people if they, uh, once they find out about it. 
that said, there was a study by the UN that looked at what different generations, their like level of belief in climate science and trust in climate science. And 25% of kid respondents in America that were ages 15 through 17 um, said that they, they didn't consider the climate crisis an emergency or a crisis. They just basically didn't believe in it. Um, and 25% is high, is higher, is a high figure and it's higher than any other nation in, you know, any other developed nation in Europe or North, North America. Um, so, you know, like these, the, the adult politics are impacting what kids think about it. Um, but lots of kids, um, are very concerned about it and, um, and would like to learn about it in school. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week we bring you stories like this, so please subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you like the show, you can leave us a rating or sign up for our free podcast newsletter on our website. This episode was written by me, Stephen Uno, and produced by my colleague, Jeff Young. Music this episode by Mont Plaisir. Till next time. Thank you.